and um, I had Brother Will helping me out on an illustration, and we were doing something, and then when I walked away, this cord actually caught on a button, and I thought I was being decapitated at the same time, but it was fun, and I was just like, okay, so God has ways of keeping you humble and working with you on things. But we're going to look in Judges chapter number 13 here, and I will tell you, I have thoroughly enjoyed having the opportunity to go through these judges and to see what God has done in their lives. And, and honestly, with these judges, if you've noticed in studying them, is that there is a continual digression, if you would, of them spiritually. Uh, we started off with Othniel, and as we've been going through the book of Judges, talking about all of them, is that uh, the judges pretty much start by being good spiritually, and then it kind of goes to okay, and then it kind of gets to worst. Well, tonight we're finally going to get to the judge that, in my opinion, intrigues me the most. We're going to finally get to Samson. And Samson is probably, if you ever hear much preached out of the book of Judges, you're either going to get Gideon or you're going to get Samson. In my opinion, Samson's probably the more famous of them. Uh, and as we're going to read here in a little bit, we're not going to get through all of Samson's life at one time. Um, I've always been guilty of, and I think a lot of people are guilty of in preaching and teaching, there's two particular people in Scripture that we try to, if you ever preach and teach, you try to run through them all at one time. One of them is Samson, the other one's Jonah, which there's so much to Jonah, and there's also so much to Samson's life. Uh, Samson, if you notice, in studying this uh, particular book, Judges 13 through Judges 16, he is probably by far the worst morally judge. He's pretty bad in what he does, but God blesses him in a lot of ways. Uh, I really enjoyed the last two weeks studying Jephthah. Jephthah, there's just so much to Jephthah's life that really is amazing how God takes his flaws, God takes his failures, and still God can use him in spite of that. And it was kind of just refreshing to read that. Samson, to me, is kind of a intriguing yet very frustrating person. You say, what do you mean by that? Have you ever met somebody that's got all kinds of talent, but they're wasting it? Like they are just talent running out their ears. I mean, they're, they're, maybe they're good talking to people, maybe they're... Maybe their uh, whatever it could be, maybe their talent, their influence, whatever it is, and they are just—you could just tell that they have a lot of gifts given by God, but they just seem to squander it a lot. Samson to me is one of those guys, and when you think about Samson and think about his life, and and we're going to kind of look at kind of Samson's beginning and kind of a little bit of Samson's life and history tonight, and then next time we meet, we're going to actually go over the fall of Samson, which is normally what a lot of people focus on. And we'll look at Samson and Delilah uh, there in just a little bit. But as we've been talking about in the book of Judges, and we'll go ahead and start in chapter number 13. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through, um, excuse me, 1 through 5 here. In Judges 13, verses 1 through 5, and it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, that just means of the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, or put unto his wife, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not anything unclean. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. And no razor shall come, up, come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Let's pray and we'll get into our study. Lord, as we come to you tonight, we just thank you, Lord, so much for all that you do. 
Lord, as the, as the psalmist says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And also, Lord, I just pray as we look at your word tonight, may we all ask you, Lord, to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here tonight. Lord, it's not a mistake that they're here. Lord, you have divine appointments. And Lord, I pray as we are at this appointment in time that we might, regardless of what's going on in our mind and heart, Lord, I thank you that you know all about it. But Lord, I pray you just for the next few moments, may we, Lord, pull ourselves up to your table and eat that bread, Lord, that will sustain us and help us. Lord, be that person tonight that needs comfort. Lord, I pray you give comfort to those that are weary in heart, maybe weary in mind and, and physical uh, needs as well. Lord, I pray for that person that just really needs some direction tonight. Lord, I pray you would give him or her that direction. Lord, I pray for that one that tonight might just be thinking, if I have one more thing happen in my life, I'm just going to quit. Lord, I pray you might just renew their strength. Lord, make your presence ever so real in their lives. And Lord, for us that need humbling, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves under your mighty hand, Lord, so you don't have to humble us. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. Be with those on the prayer list tonight, Lord, those that have mentioned, those that haven't been mentioned. I pray you just meet every need according to your will. And God, thank you again so much for Jesus. Just thank you for, for him being worthy of all the honor and glory. And Lord, I pray we might praise you tonight. In his name we pray. Amen. So we started looking, uh, well, I guess it's been several weeks ago. I think we're on Sermon 8 or 9 in this uh, topic of Judges. And I love Judges. And, and as we've been studying, we talked about the cycle of sin. And I wrote it on the board a lot of weeks. I'm not going to write it again. But we talked about the children of Israel, Moses, and then Joshua uh, led them across uh, the Jordan River, and they're in the Promised Land, and they didn't drive out all the enemies like they're supposed to in the land, all the inhabitants. And because they didn't drive out all the inhabitants that God told them to, later as we read about in Judges, the, one, the things they didn't get out of their life that God told them to get rid of end up dominating their life, which kind of sounds like my life. The things in my life that God says you need to get out of your life, you need to remove from your life, if you don't do it, be careful, it might eventually conquer you and dominate you. And so in the book of Judges, we see a lot of them going into captivity again and being oppressed. It may not have been exactly like the children of Israel in Egypt where they were uh, building bricks and being slaves. Sometimes they were oppressed just by ones that would come up and that would besiege them at just at any moment. The Philistines were definitely that type. The Philistines were a group of people that would come up, they would kill, kill them, they would take their crops. They were definitely outmatched because uh, this was the time of the giants. And so later on, as we study David's life and a few you know, years later, that you read about Goliath, so this is the same group of people. By the way, anytime you read Philistines, you don't always think about godly, holy people. You always think about those that are the enemies of God. And so as we see and been studying these different judges, we see how they have peace. They have rest because they serve God, they love God, they worship God, there's peace. And then they'll fall into some type of, of sin, mainly idol worship, where they worship idols, worship different things. And then because of that sin, God allows them to be oppressed or in captivity. And they're in captivity for many years, some of them for 8 years, 20 years, 40 years, a lot of years of captivity. And when it says that finally when Israel gets fed up with being in captivity and being oppressed, they cry out to God. And again, we'll see this topic over and over again. When they finally get tired of their sin, they cry out to God, and God immediately gives them a deliverer. And again, that reminds me of myself. God will allow me to stay captive to my sin, to my lust, to my addiction, until I cry out to him. But when I cry out to him, I love, as First John says, 
if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he raised up these deliverers, these men, these women, these uh, godly people. Some of them uh, weren't so godly. Some of them were pretty average and terrible, <laughs> if you want to look at it like that. And so they would get delivered, and they'd have peace again and over. Well, if you notice something here, and as remember when we ended with Jephthah last week, every other judge up to Jephthah it says that while he or she ruled, Israel had peace, right? Remember the end of Jephthah's reign? There was no peace. Jephthah was the first judge that actually judged or ruled less than the amount of time they were in captivity. Jephthah is the first one that actually, it says that he did not bring peace because of things in his own life and issues that he had. And so we come to this chapter 13. It says in verse 1, come the famous words we've been reading over and over again, and the children of Israel did evil again. They did it again. And it, one thing I find very interesting in Scripture, you shouldn't skip over. It not only says they did evil, they said they did it repeatedly, but look where the acknowledgement of really what our sin is in the sight of the Lord. You know, I believe it's David that says, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And so we see here how the book of Judges, I, I personally believe Samuel wrote it, uh, but either way, the idea is here is that when they did evil, they did it in the eyes of the Lord in front of God and just didn't care. And it says here, because of their sin, look what it says, a conjunction there, and what does the Lord do? The end of verse 1. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. So if I'm noticing something here, I do notice, and I'm taking a moment to us understand this, God is a God of love. I'm, I'm so thankful for the love of God. But God is just. God is holy. So if I decide to stay in my sin, God has no problem doing what he takes in his love to get me to come back to him, which may mean delivering me to be captive under other people. And so you see here, God in his love, God's God's grace and God's mercy, he lets them go into the Philistines. You say, how is that grace? How is that mercy for God to allow the Philistines to oppress him? God could have snapped his fingers. God could have killed him. For this he would have been just in doing so. But God says, I'm going to allow you to be enslaved to the very thing that you hate because you're going to do evil in the sight of the Lord. So we see this, and look, they're in bondage for 40 years. This is a long time. You talk about not learning from your mistakes, not learning from the previous generations. And so we see here that it says that they were in bondage for 40 years, and then you go on to the rest of the part, mainly in this chapter, you get kind of the issue of uh, Manoah. Manoah is Samson's father and Samson's mother. Uh, her name is not given, and it talks about here, how the angel of the Lord appears into Mrs. Manoah, if you would, or, or Samson's mama, however you want to call her, there, okay? And appears into her and lets her know that, hey, I know you're barren. I know that you and your husband can't have children, but you're going to be blessed and have a child, and this child shall begin, that's an important phrase that you read about later, uh, begin to deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. But he says some interesting things about this child. This child's going to be a Nazarite. So when I say Nazarite, that might not mean anything to you at all. But being a Nazarite means there were certain vows that they had to do. In reading through Scripture, uh, being a Nazarite was not uh, limited to only men. Men or women could be Nazarites. It was a vow of being able to say, I'm going to consecrate my life to God, and I'm going to do some things inwardly, some things I'll deny myself, but also outwardly do some things and not do things that lets everybody know I am dedicating myself to God. By the way, in Scripture, some of the Nazarites that we see, 
And uh, some people debate Samuel, but I believe Samuel was one. John the Baptist was one. And even for a temporary time, the Apostle Paul was. Being a Nazarite wasn't necessarily a lifelong vow. For some people it was. Uh, for Samson it was. It says from the womb he was supposed to be, because of God's will and purpose, supposed to be a Nazarite for the rest of his life. I believe Apostle Paul was for a short period of time. But if you study Samson's life and study the life of John the Baptist, their birth and coming into this world sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? Remember? Remember John the Baptist's parents? I believe Zacharias and Elizabeth. They couldn't have children. Couldn't have children. She was barren. Remember that? And then God said, hey, I'm going to give you a child. And you call his name John. And what was his, what was his whole message? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the forerunner of Christ's coming. And we see sent in the power of John the Baptist. Now remember, remember Jesus himself said, there's never been born of woman or ever will be born of woman like John the Baptist. There's nobody like him because of his love and his dedication. And, and, and John the Baptist obviously wasn't a sinless person. He had issues like everybody else. But when you think about his life and you remember the, the account of him, he wasn't like a very neat groomed guy. Remember it says he wore camel hair and ate locusts and, and uh, he, he was a rough looking dude. You know, in fact, we asked John the Baptist come preach in our church. We might kind of go, who is this crazy guy that Phil just got to preach for us tonight? Kind of thing like, eh, what's up with him? But his message was what important, his life and his message. But he was a Nazarite. Now, before we get into a little bit of that, I want to ask you a question. That, do you ever deal with this? My will versus God's will. Do you ever in your life battle your will versus God's will? I think we'd all say, yeah. Now, has your will and God's will ever been the same? Yeah, I hope so. You know, I hope it has. And there's been times in your life where you submitted to the will of God and God's will was your will. He gives you the desires of your heart. Those desires of your heart are not great. I want my million dollars now. Desires of heart means I want to please God and those things that I can do that would be pleasing and accepting to God. But when we look about the life of Samson, this is the phrase that comes to my mind right here. My will versus the will of God. Samson had unbelievable talents and abilities, unbelievable gifts that we talk about. Samson's the guy that we all know probably is the strongest man to have ever lived. He obviously was a very powerful man. Now, contrary to a lot of movies and things, I don't believe Samson was this huge, buff, muscular guy. I don't believe he was. Everything you ever watch about Samson, he looks like, you know, kind of like Andre the Giant on steroids, doesn't he? He just looks like he, this is a great guy. But you know what? Every time you read about Samson, what does it say? He's weak until, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then he was able to come up. I mean, this is a little bit of philology. I'm telling you that up front because I can't give you a verse. But I will tell you, that in my opinion, I don't think he was this big guy. I don't think he was this big guy that worked out. That's this big, huge guy. I think the power and the strength and the gifts, all of that was evidence that God came upon him in the things that he did. And it's very evident of that. And so when we see some things here about Samson's life here in just a moment, Samson's one of those guys, and I love studying today. I told Rachel the hardest thing for me to do about Samson is to keep it together because I just love just rambling about him. So forgive me if I ramble a little bit. But Samson, in my mind and heart, is one of the few what I call mystery men of Scripture. You say, what do you mean by mystery men? It's someone that God views for a time, but you kind of wonder about their salvation. 
you kind of wonder where they stood with the Lord when it came to eternity. A couple of people I think of with that. One of them is Samson. The other one is King Saul. I always wonder about King Saul. You say, well, King Saul is a horrible person. That's true, but the Bible does say in different accounts that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and Saul did great things. Now, one thing you have to remember, the Holy Spirit coming upon someone in the Old Testament is totally different than what it is in the New Testament with salvation in Christ. See, in the New Testament, especially at the point of Pentecost, whenever someone puts their faith and trust in Christ, it said the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us and lives inside of us. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you will. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a time and for a purpose in God's will and then would also leave a person. But Samson's one of those. I kind of think Samson probably was a believer. I'm not quite sure, but I do know this, that Samson, you'll find him in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 32, in the hall of faith where it talks about those that had great faith in God. But he is one of those, by the way he lives his life, you question it. But talking tonight just a little bit about my will versus God's will. Now, tell me this. This doesn't have to say verses. This right here could say this. My will equals God's will. Everybody in this room tonight either has my will equals God's will, or is the same as God's will, or my will versus God's will. Every person in this room, every moment of your life, every decision that you come across, every opportunity you have to react, uh, you say, well, I didn't really have any opportunity today. Well, more than likely, for the day's over, you have an opportunity to, what, live in the flesh or live and operate in the Spirit of God. And so when we look at my will, does it equal the will of God? Is it the same as the will of God? Or does my will contrast? Samson's a guy that really, a lot of times, greatly used of God, greatly used of God, but a lot of times his will was contrary to the will of God. But as I said, Samson had, was a Nazarite, so there were really three main things that he had to be in part of a Nazarite, part of his vow. One thing is that he couldn't drink any wine. In fact, in Scripture, it goes on to say, I believe it's in Numbers chapter number 6, that it wasn't just wine, not just fermented alcohol, that they really were told to flee from any type of grape drink at all, to just totally flee away from it, totally at all, to stay away from it. And that would show uh, the idea of denying yourself pleasure. And so the whole idea was you were denying yourself, deny yourself pleasure or the things that you would like, in doing so, and part of being, let's just be honest, to be consecrated to God, sometimes in being closer to God, we've got to kind of deny what our flesh wants, don't we? Don't believe me? You ever have somebody tell you off and you're ready to tell them more off? My flesh and my pleasure for a little moment wants to tell you exactly what I think about you and your mama and all that stuff that you would think of. Your flesh may say, man, I really want to do this right here. And you say, no, even though my flesh may want to do it, the Holy Spirit says, no, you shouldn't do it. And so he wasn't allowed to have any wine, no grape at all. With that, he, and the, the, that idea of grapes and wine was an idea of pleasure. He had to deny himself that. He wasn't supposed to drink any of that. By the way, his mama, during the time of, of, of carrying Samson, she was actually told in her life because of just the natural biological things, she wasn't supposed to drink any wine and she wasn't supposed to eat any unclean meat. Just because they didn't want anything from the beginning of the time that Samson's been in the womb to the time he is born and live and die, he was supposed to stay away from that. So in the idea of that, the next thing that was kind of interesting is that you weren't supposed to, I'm going to write, I should say don't, but uh, no touching 
dead bodies or dead carcasses. Anything that's dead. That doesn't mean he couldn't fight. That doesn't mean he couldn't kill things. But when there was a dead body or a dead carcass, he wasn't supposed to touch it. He wasn't supposed to touch it. He could fight, but when something was dead, he wasn't supposed to touch the dead. And the reason being from that, because death was a symbol of being separated from sin and the effect of sin. And the idea and understanding is, don't touch the dead body, don't touch anything's dead, be separated from the effect of sin. I tell you, for me to be consecrated in my life, I've got to stay away from those things that are spiritually dead to those things that are rottening and decaying and those things that are not good for me. And we have to do the same thing, and that's what he was told to do. And then the one you probably know of more than else was what? He couldn't, he couldn't go to Great Clips. They're right. He couldn't go to Great Clips. He couldn't do that. No cutting the hair. No cutting hair. Now you say, Phil, okay, I'm with you. No wine. Pleasure, got that. All right, no touching uh, the dead body. Okay, death, effect of sin. What is the idea with the hair? It's supposed to be a visible, a visible vow. What that meant is this. When people saw him, they immediately recognized, hey, you are, there's something different about you. You've set yourself apart. I tell you, I'm not going to camp out here. And I'm not talking about cutting hair, but in people's lives today, when people look at us, it ought to be very visible in the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we act around ourselves, that there is something different about us. Now, don't get me wrong. Pharisee is somebody that looks the part and even talks the part, but their heart is different. But I will tell you this. Our heart should match our talk. I get that. But the Bible does say, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and what? Touch not the unclean thing. We have to understand that we should not mimic the world in every aspect of our life. And this was a visible vow. This was what was shown that they could do. For all of you who really like history of this, I can tell you after the service, there's a way if you ever needed to end the vow, there was actual routine that they had to do. But I'm not going to do that to you right now. If you really like the history, I'll tell you that, tell you that later if you'd like to know that. But anyway, so you have this. So as long as Samson would adhere to these things, his will would equal God's will. But whenever Samson stepped outside of what drew him closer to God, it was Samson's will versus God's will and what was wanted there. And if you notice back in verse number 5, whenever uh, the angel of the Lord is speaking to Manoah's wife, Samson's mother, which I personally believe is an angel of the Lord, the Lord's all caps there, meaning I believe it's a theophany, an appearance of God before, uh, or some people believe a Christophany, an appearance of Christ before the birth. Uh, for the birth of Christ. And so it says the angel Lord comes. But if you notice in verse 5 at the end, it says something about Samson. It's almost kind of like a little taste of what's going to happen. It says this, And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. You notice it doesn't say, And he shall deliver them. It says he shall begin. That means something about Samson. Samson didn't finish the job. Samson even started right, had great moments in his life, but as we're going to look at the next time we meet, Samson's end was pretty terrible. Samson's end was pretty horrible. And so Samson did not actually deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Samson didn't do that. Actually, the one that actually was successful in doing that was years later, David, King David was the one that finally gave rest 
and delivered Israel from the Philistines. Even Saul couldn't do that. If you remember, Saul died by the hand of the Philistines. Actually, his armor bearer and all of that, but he was wounded by him. And so it says that he begins. And the reason that he began to deliver is because he never did deliver them because he never delivered himself. And you say, what do you mean he never delivered himself? Samson struggled his whole life with what his flesh wanted. That's what he did. He struggled that his whole life. His flaws, his failures, he never submitted and delivered himself in the sense of submitting to God's will. And because he battled his demons, so to speak, and never got victory over that and kept going back to it, whenever you read the end of Samson, it's one of the most terrible things you read about the death of Samson. You know, when you tell children's stories to Samson, about Samson, you don't normally include the wonderful details of Samson's death, do you? You don't normally include, as we'll look at the next time we meet, about how Samson uh, not just got humiliated, not just did his, not only did Lila cut his hair, but how they gouged out his eyes and all the things that they did to him and publicly made a huge spectacle of him. And when we see here, Samson never delivered himself, and since he never dealt with his own failures, he only began to deliver others. And if I can stop here for a moment, I don't think I'm really outstepping my bounds here. God will never be able to use us fully to help deliver other people where they're at spiritually in their lives until we're willing to deal with the failures and flaws in our own life. Hey, we all have flaws, things that we can't necessarily help, but things that pull at us away. We all have failures, those things that we have done. But can I tell you, we'll never be able to truly, to the fullest ability, that God desires us to help deliver people, to help people in their relationships with Christ and their walk with Christ, if we're not willing to deal with the things in our life that we know God is not pleased with. I will never be the father to my children until I fully address and say, my will, God, will equal your will. But as long as there's things in my life that I'm not willing to turn over to God and things that I keep going back to, there's going to be times that it's still going to be my will versus God's will. And so we see he didn't, wasn't able to do it. And so when you get to the end of chapter 13, and I know I'm giving you a lot of history here, sorry about that. But when you get to the end of chapter number 13, it says that um, he's born in verse 24, and the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and, that's a fun word there, Estel, okay? So if I said it wrong, I really apologize. But it says there that the Lord began to move in him. So God used him greatly. Hey, can I be honest with you? There's things that Samson accomplished that no other human being accomplished. There were things that Samson was able to do that no one else did. And as I said, I, I don't believe he was muscular, but I believe he was powerful and strong, especially when the Lord came upon him. And you know what I love in studying Samson and the different things that we'll see here about Samson's life? is that you don't have to be, quote-unquote, muscular and strong for God to use you in a mighty way. A lot of people in their lives, they feel like God can never use them in a powerful way, in a mighty way, because they don't feel like they're, what, talented enough, equipped enough, have those abilities enough. And I know I'll probably say it wrong, but I think someone said one time, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. That God will, if he calls you, you probably don't have the ability and talent to do it to begin with, but he will equip you. You, wanna, you really want to believe and study that? Read the book of Exodus, especially the beginning chapters with Moses. Moses didn't have the ability, if you really knew who Moses was, to lead Israel and all those things that God used him to do. 
But God equips the called. Whenever you read about the life of Noah, lots of different people, we could go on and on about that. But Samson was used to defeat the Philistines many times, and they were the enemy of God. And this power, his gift, and what we need to understand, where Samson failed is whenever he did not use his power and gifts for the glory of God, he used his powers and gifts for the glory of himself. You know, I try to tell myself, I try to tell my family, I try to tell people that I know, hey, make sure these gifts that you have been given, remember that those gifts are God-given. You ever meet somebody and say, man, that person's talented in this, or that person's got a great ability to do that. Can I tell you, they may work on that, they may try to work hard and study and practice, but when it comes down to it, every gift is a God-given gift. Every gift. Whatever gift you have is a God-given gift. It's a God-given ability that God has given you, and you think about how are you using your God-given gifts? God-given gifts, the things that God's given you for his glory. Because as we'll see here shortly, uh, by the time you get to the end of Samson's life, by the time you get to the end of it, Samson's just a fraction of the man he was. And I tell you, in my life, I think about how great Samson was at the beginning, but how terrible he was at the end. I don't want to have the testimony of Samson, to be honest with you. I don't want to be known as somebody that was greatly used of God during his early years, his mid-years. But man, the last years of my life, I was just a fraction of a person that had faith in God, trusting God, and used in God as I was. And so that's the thing that we'll see about in Samson's life by the time you get to the end of it. But God had a plan, and here's what's great about Samson. You ever sometimes wonder, God, what is your plan for my life? <laughs> God, what is your will for my life? I have no idea. God, what do you want me to do? I mean, I've wondered that before. Every teenager wonders that. God, do you want me to go to college? God, do you want me to go to IHOP? I mean, work. What do you want me to do in life? I mean, what do you want me to do? you want me to go in the military? What do you want me to do in life? What's my career? Who am, I, who am I supposed to marry? Am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to live? And we keep wondering about this grand scheme, this grand plan that we're supposed to do. And I tell you something someone told me a long time ago, and I believe you can back it up with Scripture. If you want to know, and if I want to know God's will for my life, here's the best way of doing it and knowing it. Obey what you know God wants you to do today. The best way to know God's will for tomorrow is to obey what you know God has given you to do today. In places you've got to step in faith, step in faith today. I can't expect God to tell me what he wants me to do in five years if I'm not willing to obey God and trust him and step out in faith today and if God lives me, allows me to the next day and the day after that. I have to obey him today if I ever want to know his will later. Now, Samson's got something different. He's kind of got one up us on this a little bit. Samson, from birth, his parents told him, you're going to deliver Israel. You're going to deliver Israel. You're the man. You're going to be it. And by the way, these are the rules right here, Samson. This is what you got to do. So Samson had it laid out. Now, I don't know. How many, how many of you like knowing exactly what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do at work? You like that. You know exactly. How many of you like having a little bit of gray area of freedom? Okay. Sometimes if you like the gray area of freedom, kind of like I do sometimes, it's kind of looking and go, what? I didn't know. You didn't tell me. You know, kind of one of those things. But then, you know, some people like the boundaries, right? Like, I may not like what I'm supposed to do or not supposed to do, but at least I know where the fence is, okay? At least I know. Samson knew. Samson was somebody that God knew, you're going to be dedicated unto me, let me just tell you right off the bat what you are allowed to be part of and not be part of. And that was the struggle. You say, Brother Phil, well, I'm not like Samson. That's true, but we have something that Samson didn't have. 
Samson knew because his parents told him over and over again, this is God's will for you, this is what God wants. And I tell you, a great responsibility we have as parents, as teachers, as Christians, is to pass down to the next generation what God desires them to do. What does God want them to do? What are you going to do one day when your kids look at you and say, well, why should I keep going to church? Well, that's what we've always done. You better hope you've got a great relationship or that'll stick. You're going to say, well, well, why do we believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? We better be able to go to the standards of the Bible, the doctrines of the Bible, and say, what thus saith the Lord? We've got to be able to pass down to the next generation, and even not the next generation. We live in a day and time where people our age and older than us don't know the standards and doctrines of the Bible, and it's our responsibility that we know the truth and to share the truth, to let people know about what it is and to let people know about what they should do and shouldn't do. But we see here in Samson's life, he knew. He was told. And so you come to chapter 14, okay? So he comes to chapter 14. That's probably the quickest I've ever preached a chapter of Scripture in my life, okay? Some of you are like, that was very long. But anyhow, that was pretty fast, I thought. But anyhow. So you get to chapter 14, and the first main thing you see, or maybe what you want to see in chapter 14 is this. Chapter 14, the theme of it in Samson's life is this. It is rejecting godly counsel. Chapter 14 is all about Samson rejecting godly counsel. Okay, it says in chapter 14, verse number 1, it says, And Samson went down to Timnath. Timnath was a city of the Philistines. And he said he saw a woman in Timnath of the, of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and mother knew not that it was the Lord that sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Okay, so here's the thing. So you got, you got Samson, right? God's, God's got parents in his life. He's got counsel in his life. He's got people in his life telling him, Hey, this is what God wants. You're going to do something great for God. God's going to greatly use you, and you've got to just adhere to what God's Word says. Samson starts walking down to Timnath. He ain't got no business going down to Timnath. be honest with you, a lot of times I mess up when I go places I don't need to go. When I allow myself to go to places that I don't belong at, whether that be physically going somewhere, that may be looking at something or listening to something, if I do that, beware. When we go to places, mentally, physically, we shouldn't go. Be careful, because guess what? This right here is going to be threatened. It's not going to be my will equals God's will. It's going to be a... So he sees this girl in Tim now. Man, she's beautiful. By the way, this is not Delilah. Samson made some pretty wrong decisions about three different women in the Bible. This is the first one. And Samson sees her, comes home, says, Dad, Mom, I've seen this girl. She's it. And his mom and dad say, Hey, uh, you know... There's nobody among your brethren, even the tribe of Dan, or even just an Israelite that you can marry. I mean, this person is not even, even a believer. And a lot of people say, well, who, who really cares? Anytime you read in Scripture, God never condones. God never condones. In marriage, what happens? Two become one flesh. It's hard for two people to become one flesh 
and dwell together in unity if one serves the God of Jehovah or, God, or the Lord Jesus Christ and the other one serves the God of all these other gods that the Philistines worshipped. So God's like, no, 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 no. His parents are like, no, no, no. This is not a union that you should have. This is not a union you have. And, and don't you love his parents give him godly counsel? And what does he say? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No. Do you see the end? Can you kind of read the language? If you're a parent, you can kind of get the tone here. Uh, what does Samson say at the end of verse 3? Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. That's kind of like the equation of this. Give it to me now. I want it. I don't know parent in this room has ever heard that. Give it to me now. I want it. I want it now. And that's the mentality. So you got Samson kind of throwing a two-year-old fit, right? And Samson's deciding something. God's will does not supersede my desire. And one of the first times you see Samson really mess up in his life is whenever God's will does not overcome or reign supreme over his desire. Can I tell you the same thing in my life? When my fleshly desires are, then they supersede God's will and I don't listen to godly counsel and advice and through the word of God or through people that God's put in my life, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. And that's when we sin. And we see this here. But I love how God is not handicapped by my sin. Or my stupidity, if I can say that. I don't know if you notice in verse number uh, 4, it says, But his father and mother knew not that it was the Lord of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. God says, you know, I'll still take this sinful desire, and I can still use this for my purpose. I can still use this for my purpose. And I, by the way, I love how God can still use my failures for his purpose and for his glory. He doesn't necessarily glory in my failures, but he can still use it. And so you go on in verses 5 through 9, and you get the account, pretty cool account. Samson's going down to Timnath, one of the few times he does. And when he goes down there, this lion comes out. And I know I'm kind of paraphrasing a lot here for you. Verses 5 through 9, it says a lion comes out, and it says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he actually kills a lion with his bare hands. Now, this is why I think Samson's really cool. If I see a lion and you're standing there next to me, I'm either going to ask you to borrow your gun or I'm going to trip you so I can run faster than you. Probably is what... Okay, you're like, Brother Phil, thanks a lot. I'm just kidding. Kind of. Okay, no. <laughs> but can you imagine that? I mean, put that in reality. Some of us get scared uh, if a dog comes out. Imagine a lion. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He kills it with his bare hands. It says he rents it like a kid, like it's something small, like it's nothing. And he kills it. So God uses him to kill. And so we see something great that God uses him in this way, and he kills this lion, but we see where Samson breaks one of the, one of the vows. Look what it says down here happens. And uh, it says in verse number 7, And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Verse 8, And after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother. And he gave them and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken honey out of the carcass of the lion. So he went on. He killed, he killed this lion. He goes on. He sees the woman. Yep, she's it. She pleases me well. This is what I want. She's what I want. He's going back. And immediately he's tempted. By the way, he should never want Timnath, right? 
He should never win against godly counsel, right? So look where this road's leading him. So now he goes by, and when he looks, he doesn't just see a dead, rotten carcass. What's in the middle of it? Honey. It'd been really nice if it said, like, bitter or wormwood or vinegar or something like that. No, it's honey. What's honey? Sweet. What a, what a great picture, really, of temptation. What does the Bible say? There's pleasure in sin for a season, right? So Samson sees it. Nobody else is around. I mean, God gave me the power to overthrow this lion. So surely, if God didn't want me to have the honey, he wouldn't have let me kill the lion, right? So what do you start doing? You start justifying your sin. And we do that. And so he goes and he takes and he hurts one of these vows. Touches the dead carcass. He gets the honey. He eats it for himself. It's sweet. But do you notice something? Do you want to know why Samson knew he was wrong? What does it say in the verse 8 and 9? He didn't tell his mom and dad. Obviously, he's not that scared of his mom and dad because he's got to be looking at his dad saying, I want her. Get her for me. I want her now. And so, obviously, he has no problem expressing his desires, but Samson knew he was wrong. By the way, unconfessed sin in our life leads to secrecy and deception. Samson deceived his own parents because what did it say? He ate the honey, and what did he do to them? Hey, Mom, Dad, here you eat it. Here you eat it. Be careful sometimes our choices, when they're sinful, when they're wrong, when they're against God, be careful involving other people. I tell you, in my life sometimes, and I'll say this, and I know our time's gone, but you ever sometimes wonder to yourself when you sin in your life, and you look back and say, God, don't let my kids or don't let my spouse or don't let my parent don't let someone else pay for my sins god judge me but the problem i have in my life with that is this it normally takes something pretty bad in my life to get to that part to ask god to forgive me because in the moment i'm so in love with my sin and hey so sweet i don't really care but i don't want anybody else to know i find it very interesting that samson did not care that god knew he cared more about his mom and dad what they thought May I encourage you tonight. God may have great people in your life that God uses for counsel, for wisdom. But if we get to the point where we care more about what our family thinks about us, what maybe I think about you, we think about that more than what the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings thinks about us, oh boy, we're in trouble. And there's a lot of things that we're going to see through here. And I know I took some time tonight and I appreciate your time. But I want us to understand that every person in this room has to deal with one simple word with this. You know what I, you know what I say when it goes from here to here? Anybody stubborn other than me? <laughs> That's what I am. I know what's right, but I don't do it. And I encourage you, over the next week or so before we meet again, I encourage you to read chapters 14, 15, and 16 of Judges. Samson, somebody greatly used of God. Greatly used of God. But Samson lived almost all of his life for his will and his will alone and not the will and glory of God. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. And again, I appreciate you being here tonight.